in theory, we're outside, but if that sun gets into those clouds, then I might retreat inside. But. Okay, okay. Well, what a what a great uh, what a great scene to set the interview to. Well, for anybody watching it, it gives them something to look at as well as they they can stop listening to what we're saying and go, "Oh, look! Can you see that?" And I'm so, sure yeah. this will be the moment when we have the yeah. best Nessie sighting of all time just behind you there. I'm sure the swan I see yeah, ducking with, me in that the water the is a good candidate. Me looking the wrong way. Well, this is the thing. Well, yeah. look, I wanted to talk to you, actually, because we we met face-to-face recently, which was wonderful. Um, I was at the lock yeah, again cool. later uh, in the year to talk right, to Chi. Right here, yeah. Hmm. Uh, to talk to Chi Kelly yeah. about her sighting, which you know you, you, you chaperoned really well and gave this lady the courage to come out with these fantastic images. That happened right there on the beach while you were away that year. Um, so I was be... I was probably at the supermarket. Okay, okay. Yeah. It's mildly frustrating, Andy. Yes, yeah. uh, it was literally here, right here in the bay for two minutes, and luckily she had a good Canon camera with a sports mm. mode on it, so she was able to rattle off what in total is. 71 images which at the moment we're in the process of putting into a uh, sort of timeline so that you can and stabilize in the background because you know obviously each frame if you just if you did them like a flick book and went like that through the 71 images the background would be up and down up and down and up and down so a friend who's a new zealand filmmaker quite a big filmmaker out there He's compiling them into this sequence so you can actually see the progression, see the movement of the object just across the bay here. And, and I think what we will do eventually when it's complete and in its best possible format is we would release that, giving the clearest image of what the 71 photographs represent, but also sort of open source the 71 original photographs in their original condition for anybody else to make their own flick books out of to see if they can fathom out any other hidden details so yeah it's exciting but we're not there yet we're on we're on the verge of getting something together and i think there's about half a dozen of us involved in the process which you know, to me, it's the most grown-up bit of research I've ever been involved in because it's like a team. Normally, it's just mm-hmm. me with a magnifying glass looking at a photograph, going, "No, nah, it's a duck," <laughs> or whatever. But this is this is sort of a grown-up bit of. Um, but everybody, it's international. They're around the world. The ones that are working on it, all very busy with their own projects. So it's taken a bit of time, longer than I'd like it to have taken. But yeah. It's, it's getting there. But as far as you're concerned, I mean, you said something like these were the best photos or best possible photos of the Loch Ness Monster you, you'd ever seen. Would you I'd seen on the surface. Mm. Yes. I, because initially when she showed me the photographs on her phone, she'd originally taken 71 images, but because that was five years ago and she was never going to make the 70 she was never going to go public with it because she'd seen the ridicule the subjects get mm. so she thought no i'm just gonna keep these to myself i'll show friends and family so 
she de- de- she thought she deleted the bulk of them and just kept 15 that she thought was the most mysterious. So those are the 15 that we initially put out, thinking that's all there was. And those, to me, do defy explanation. It's they're, they're the mo- probably the most mysterious pictures I've seen on the surface, and they're definitely the clearest, but they still leave you scratching your head. But, of course, once those 15 went out, and they only went out as stills, so they were only really picked up by um, newspapers and online newspapers. Um, once they went out, her husband, Scott, he kept saying, I'm sure we didn't delete the other ones. I'm sure they're on a disc somewhere. We just burnt them to a disc. And then over the weekend after the pictures got released, she, he got Scott got onto me and said, found the disc. There's 71 of them. So, you know, it, it gives us much more than we thought we had. It gives us the in-between bits, the bits when whatever it is is underwater, and then it's back on the surface and it's underwater. And, you know, as I say, there's half a dozen of us looking at these things at the moment, and there may, be, there may end up being a plausible explanation. We as yet can't see it. Um... If I was to look for a mundane explanation, there's well, it's certainly not these ducks that you can hear making a noise. It's not nothing like that. It's not it's not something that's on the surface as such. It goes underwater and it travels for quite a distance. A possibility could be divers. It would have to be two divers because it seems the object moves around. It could be that that's what we're looking at, but. In the sequence I've seen so far, I can see no more conclusive evidence that it is divers than I can that it isn't. It's, you know, it's the jury's still out on this one. And yeah, so to me, it's exciting because, yeah, sorry. I mean, no, I can see that. I I could, uh, I could feel that when we came for the big Loch Ness expedition that weekend and just after it finished, like I actually saw her hanging about this lovely lady, she near the Loch Ness yeah. Centre. And there was a, a sort of look in her face. And I thought, is this lady a tourist? She looks like she wants to say something. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah. This yeah. lady wants yeah. to talk to somebody, has something to say. And uh, I just thought, well, it's, it's another tourist out here looking for Nessie. There's people all over the place looking for Nessie. And, and perhaps she's even a journalist, a lost foreign journalist from another country wandering about near the Loch Ness Centre. There was thoughts. a few. There was a few of them, definitely. Mm, no, I definitely yeah. saw them. None, none of them looked uh, lost enough, in my opinion. But they were, they were some good chaps among them as well. And, um, yeah, they, was, I don't think any of yeah, they didn't seem to be able to find what they were looking for, really. No, yeah. and as you know, we attended for our documentaries while we had Britain, and and we didn't find what we were looking for. Although there were some exciting sightings throughout the weekend as well make of them what you will and uh, some very um strangely elaborate and sensational newspaper headlines after even involving ourselves which was uh quite unintentional and, and hard to explain yes the thermal drones certainly do work did we capture nessie in them no not at all <laughs> and no. i don't think that's what we said at any point other than here's the footage and yes they they work 
Um, but there you go. I mean, newspapers have to sell headlines, and that's part Very and parcel much. sometimes of the of the whole process, isn't it, it? It really didn't. It didn't feel to me like they were describing the same event that I'd witnessed. Mm. They were all. It was all blown out of proportion. I thought, mm. and talking to them they were frustrated at the time that they couldn't find any volunteers to interview. They couldn't find any mm. flotilla of boats. I don't know. What's the, what's the, the collective name for a gang of drones? Oh, uh, uh, a, 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 a swarm, a drone swarm. Is it? Is it? Okay. There yes. you go. Well, they, didn't, they certainly yeah. didn't find that because you had the only drone. Well, so. this, what was funny about this whole thing was, so, um, you know, our, our, our mutual great friend, Alan McKenna, who's, you know, enthusiasm for Loch Ness and the Loch Ness yeah. Exploration Group has convinced me, or convinced me at the time, this man has the um, the tenacity and the love of this to not only possibly find an answer to this, but unite the warring parties and get them talking to each other a little bit. You know, the people that don't quite agree, that haven't spoken very much over the years, I could see that. And I thought, this is great. And then the Loch Ness Centre was rebranded and uh, gave him uh, some support. And we said, well, look, we're making a documentary about different things in Britain, weird, wild and wonderful mysteries and histories. Let's do this expedition with you. We'll document it. They did a rather good job of, a very good job of promoting it to the world. It's and a cool job, it, yeah. Yeah, it became a very big event. But then we, we noticed that we were sort of squeezed out of the event, only... They'd floated the whole expedition and all the science involved on the equipment we were bringing. <laughs> Do you know, we yes. were, essentially, it was all of our stuff. It was just our documentary, apart from the hydrophone and you know, deep scan, yeah. uh, which turned out just to be sort of like a, a diesel spewing tiny little boat with like a, a knackered old sonar uh, thing on it. And the, the, the pilot, by the way, one hydrophone. Arrived. Yeah, and one hydrophone, the pilot Al awesome guy wonderful guy had a great time with him not knocking the boat at all but it wasn't that high-tech thing we expected we we bought a thermal drone and an rov and the rest of it uh just to get ourselves around took a few samples like people do like professor gimbal did but similarly you know i saw a lot of press i saw a lot of international attention which is great you know the lock needs that but i yeah. wondered you know was this sort of like a promotional coup for a new business more than you know, the wonderful expedition we hoped it would be. Well, you said it. <laughs> I couldn't possibly. I couldn't possibly I always, tell it. Yeah, yeah, I always will say it, but I'm far enough away to say it and not yeah. suffer the consequences. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess I can. It was constructive for the exhibition center. It's mm. constructive for the mystery. It's frustrating for me. I must admit, because mm. ever since that weekend, almost every single tourist that's turned up here has said, "Oh, have you seen it yet?" No, not yet. All right. But there was that big hunt at the end of August. Were you involved in that? Right. Let's talk about that. And it's uh, the world thinks yeah. that this massive expedition went on. And the, and the frustration I feel about that is that because there hasn't really been any concrete results shown mm. from it, that will give all the world that read all these stories that it was going to happen, biggest hunt for 50 years, if they see nothing coming of it, they're mm. going to go, oh, well, if that big hunt didn't find it, it can't be in there. But exactly. you and I know, having yeah. been here and seen the content of the biggest hunt in 50 years, 
doesn't mean there's nothing in Loch Ness. It just means, oh God, that bug just went in my eyes. Yeah. It just means there's other ways to find it. Well, it's so but big on, as on well. The, on yeah. the subject of, even when they were making the publicity about it, saying this will be the biggest hunt for 50 years. And I gave it a lot of thought. And I remember, you know, the fields right next to me here mm. where the festival Rock Ness used to be. Yes. I remember on the third year when there's like the, the main stage, and there's an amphitheater of hill. And so all of the 30,000 capacity crowd on the Saturday night was stood on there for about an hour waiting for Fat Boy Slim to come along to do his full set. Wow. When you looked at the main stage, it, it was literally here at the back of the field and behind the main stage was that view. Hang on. That view there, right? Yeah. So, so 30,000 people stood in that field for an hour and stared at that view. So if that's not the biggest hunt in 50 years, <laughs> I don't know what it is, to be honest. Well, look, I always thought, you know, if, if I was to, um, if I was to, uh, do organize a hunt of my own, it would be, to, you know, huge musicians playing us onto the lock and trying to tempt Nessie forward, you know, with some, some of the, their musical delights. Um, I really enjoyed it there. You know, I, I thought the area still had a fire, still had um, a desire to find Loch Ness. And talking to the researchers like yourself, like Willie, like Roland, and, and many other people, actually what I realized was is that one of the good things about Loch Ness is the long-term researchers have always been their biggest the, the biggest self debunkers. They're always the most critical of the legend and the history. They're not just selling this legend to get, you know, I suppose likes and support and sales and interviews or whatever else is, is out there. You're willing to say, actually, this didn't quite cut it or that bit of evidence yeah. isn't what it's all, all cracked up to be. How do you think that helps maintain the legend? I think for me personally, because a lot of people nowadays bring a lot of pieces of photographs and videos to me because I'm here all the time and I'm known not to be here to take the mick out of the subject. People bring their bits of evidence to me and I could easily run to the press every time and say, look, here's the latest thing. Mm. And they'll look at it and go, well, that's a duck or that's a boat wake or that's a mm. piece of wood or whatever it is. If I can see a mundane explanation, I know that if it lands on somebody's breakfast table on a Sunday morning in a Sunday newspaper, a skeptic will be able to look at it and say, you can see the boat in the background that caused those seven humps. That's not Nessie, that's a boat wake. So there's no point in me promoting something that isn't mysterious. So I, I am a, a, a very hard person to convince of yeah. something worthy of going up against the public domain really the, up against mm. the critics that will pick a hole in it if they and possibly I suppose can so, sooner or later if you become associated with that it doesn't take people long to find out like our Owen O'Fagan chap in Ireland oh. and before you know it everybody knows she's a hoaxer and the papers might pick it up because they want the headlines but everybody else doesn't really have time for what you want to say and it does diminish the subject internationally in the eyes of uh, you know, um, particularly 100%. skeptical people that need extraordinary evidence for extraordinary claims. And that is the frustration that, you know, with somebody like that Irish guy, 
the media don't care that it's mm. a duck or whatever you can possibly find that's moving on the surface of Paddle the board. water. <laughs> Paddleboard, yeah, <laughs> canoeists, you name it. He's, he's, he fires it in, and they don't care because it in the, the days of 24-hour rolling news, mm. it's a filler. It's a clickbait filler, and so they're, they're the most cynical promoters of evidence you could possibly get because they don't really don't care. If they can mm. see it's rubbish, but they'll punt it anyway. We can all see it's rubbish. And so I know of nobody involved in this subject that will touch him. I don't even click on his posts anymore when he, when he gets a new site in because I know his motivation is those clicks, which is paying his YouTube channel, which is probably paying him better than his day job. So I won't even give him the benefit of the penny that my click would give him. And, He's a he's addicted to that that role, and he thinks he's the savior of the mystery. He thinks he's promoting it better than anybody. And I don't know what will ever make him realize the damage he's doing. Being yeah, maybe he could use some of that money he's made from all of the, the the clickbait he's produced and come for a visit and put some real hours into the expedition. But then, who knows when he might turn up. You know how big those oh, duck wakes oh. can be on the lock, you know, when you're unprepared yeah, for them yeah. on a flat calm day. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's tragic. It's, it's, it, yeah. So I do my utmost to completely ignore it, completely not rise to it, because, you know, I can't keep my mouth shut. I'd, I'd <laughs> just... Um, I've got yeah. a similar problem, actually, and it's always been my problem. Uh, I'm learning, I'm, I'm uh, you know, sort of, uh, not what did they call old, it? Discretion or something? Uh, <laughs> tactical discretion? Is that what it is? Could be or, that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Never caught on, did it? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I'm I'm trying more. It, I heard somebody, I don't know where the saying came from, but somebody, some famous star said, um, you know, I'm too old to argue with people anymore. If you tell me two plus two equals five, you're right. Have a nice life. And... You know, sometimes perhaps that's that's the best way forward. Um, I definitely don't argue in any of the, the pages and forums are the same kind of zeal that I used to in the old days. I just think, well, hey, you know, if that's what you want, yeah. then that's that's okay for for you. And, uh, it's, yeah, you know, go for it. Enjoy yourself. I've sort of come to a feeling myself that I know when I arrived here full time in 1991, my mission statement was to convince the world that there's something worthy of ex examination in Loch Ness. Now, all these years later, I sort of realised that the enlightening of the outside world isn't my driving motivation. My driving motivation is my lifelong fascination with this mystery and this question. And what I'm searching for is the answers to satisfy my curiosity and if and when any of that information that I discover along the way seeps into the public domain, that's a bonus. But that's no longer my goal. That's that's now. I will actively, if I see something that's mysterious and impressive, I will promote it. But that's not what gets me up in the morning. It's what it's my own fascination. That's what keeps me watching now. Yeah. And after, I mean, after, is it 32 or 33 years now? You said 91? 91, 30, I got, yeah. 32 yeah. years. So 
after you know after 32 years of doing that having the motivation still and the desire to get up and look is is a testament not only to the mystery itself but to the beauty of the area i've been there twice in the last year in the last two months in fact and uh yeah. i found it hard i found it hard to drive away i thought i like this place i, I could see myself despite the weather and the local food it's not for me i'll be honest despite all of that um i can see myself wanting to come back again and again and again yeah yeah, mm. yeah. and you know on a, and on a day like this i mean this is middle of november and it's been so warm out here today freezing cold first thing but so warm and so beautiful that that's why i'm still out here now because we could do this interview sat in my van but it's too nice a late afternoon to be inside of and it's yeah it has, it has that capability even in february i get there's days like this that it's just gorgeous you know there's there's never a there's never a hard no any month of the year is stunning in its own way be yeah. it covered in snow or be it those massive storms that we've been getting that come battering through. I love them. I love a good storm. Tail end of a hurricane. Yes, please. Yeah. Yeah. From inside the, 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 from inside the van, of course, not, not out there on the veranda or mostly, mostly. I'm like, yeah. Either inside the van or in the doors in it's one or other. Is there a risk for lightning strikes on the beach? Have you ever had that there? Lightning strike on the beach? No. No, I've, I've watched a lot of lightning storms from here out there on the water where you mm. see it hitting the water. And yeah, I've never seen any hit the beach. Uh, it is something to watch a lightning storm coming up the lock. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. What do you think about the religious component to things like Nessie and Bigfoot and other cryptid? Uh, fandoms that are out there now. There's a lot of philosophies attached to what they may or may not be. Whether it's you know from the creationist point of view that these are live surviving dinosaurs to you know the the um, aliens put them there, portals uh, ejaculating this beast into the loch. Uh, what do you think about that? Uh, there's there's a raft of different possible explanations to this mystery, and religious connotations are not the most they're, they're to me they're completely outlandish but they're not the most extremely outlandish that i've heard you know time portholes back to the jurassic period and we're seeing it through a prism lens into the jurassic period is probably more out there than this is uh, in any way religious um all of all of those all of the above i think are nonsense personally it doesn't it doesn't explain anything to me but you know we haven't got yeah. the answer yet and yeah don't and know. i suppose careful people like yourself they don't speculate on what it could be and i do remember you mentioning before that it, a wells catfish had been from the very early time when you had your sighting had been probably the most likely candidate in your mind oh but how well it was actually that now years later it was actually dick rayner that first put me onto those he mm. said you ought to look at these things think about wells catfish they've they tick a lot more boxes than 
religious explanations or any other explanations. Eels and things, yeah. Eels, yeah. And I, I'm not saying that. I've never said that is the answer. I'm just saying that like a horse race, the horse that's out in front in this particular race, as to the explanation, is the whale's catfish. It's, there's more plausibility to me to that than giant eels or non-physical beings from other planets or any of the other contenders. Doesn't yeah, mean that the doesn't mean that the catfish is going to turn out to be the winner. You know, out of nowhere could come the plesiosaur that comes rearing back and surprise us all. It's at the moment that's way back in the lineup of contenders to win the race, but. We know, you know, because you would know as well as I do, the scant amount of concrete evidence that we have. Eyewitness testimony, we've got bucket loads of that. Mm. That isn't respected by the scientific community as a form of evidence. It's, and I, I must admit, over the years, I've come to understand that the, an eyewitness is a fallible piece of evidence. They, they I've seen complete mistakes that the witness is absolutely adamant is a messy sighting. And I know it's not. So, yeah. Well, I mean, Witnesses. you could pull, um, uh, I could pull out uh, a couple of hundred fairy eyewitness reports for you from, you know, pretty reasonable people when you talk to them. And yet. <laughs> To an outsider, we have to appreciate that saying that I've seen Nessie is almost the equivalent to saying I've seen mermaids and fairies and elves and the rest of it because it's in that that same ballpark for for everybody else. Yeah. It's a creature that's not supposed to be there, and anybody who thinks they've seen it, no matter how reliable the person is, must have made some sort of mistake, you know, an error of judgment as far as the world is concerned. Yeah, but those those explanations in order to dismiss I mean, you see this you see this wake that's coming in now can you see that mm -hmm. just come out of nowhere rolling I in i don't know what the time is now but i can bet you it's quarter past three because at five past three the jacobite boat goes behind tor point and it takes 20 minutes 21 minutes for its wake to roll in here like this so on a day like this, flat calm water, if like that blue car you've just pulled up in the car park and you haven't seen the boat that went past 21 minutes ago, you will, as many do, come running down to me saying, did you not just see that wake? Did you not just see that? That's Nessie. But no, it's the boat that's gone out of sight. No, there was no boat. There was no boat. I've been here for half an hour. I didn't see a boat. Come back tomorrow. You'll see that same thing at quarter past the hour. Every hour that wake will roll into the bay. And... You know, those sort of things do fool somebody that doesn't sit here for decades and figure it out, you know. And somebody who wants to see it. They, they've they've travelled from wherever they've travelled in the world for this dream lifetime trip. Uh, Absolutely. I, I, I had my honeymoon in the Loch Ness Lodge in 2012, uh, two years after we married, and we I sat in that breakfast room in the morning, peeled on the water. You know, it was my first time at Loch Ness. I was literally transfixed on it. And then two years after my honeymoon, there was a report of nine people seeing it from the dining room, a big, you know, upturned boat shaped hump, swim around in the bay and sink. And I was, I was gutted.
you know, I was so gutted. But that was my dream trip at that time. So when I look at those people desperate to see something, you know, I think especially when you've traveled, you've come a long way and normally people aren't willing to leave empty handed, right? Yeah, very much so. And I did uh, this summer somebody came and reported that boat wake to me. They they shot a bit of video of it. And they said, this is Nessie. I, I watched you. And he was Dutch. He said, and you were looking the other way. You didn't even see Nessie. I was like, well, fair enough. I said, and I explained it to him. He said, no, no, yeah. no, no, not a boat. Not a boat. This was not a boat. And I said, well, it, it was. So uh, anyway, he said, no, this is my Nessie. This is my Nessie. And, and I said, fine, keep it as your Nessie. Don't go to the newspapers with it because I will tell them that it's come back tomorrow and you'll get the same effect. Yeah. Yes, it's okay. I won't show anyone else, but this is my Nessie. Wow. Uh, you know, that's what you're saying. <laughs> By all means. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, there must be some management of dreams as well that goes into it. Like you say, you're managing his dream there, or are you at the point, like you just described, you would just say, no, I'm sorry. You've made a mistake. Sorry to burst your bubble. Enjoy the rest of your holiday, but that's, you know, that's not what it's meant to be. And I've got to hold that firm line. Otherwise, it gets out of hand and everybody goes away. Everybody gets a prize. It's that kind of race. Meaningless at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, I'm not here to disprove it anyway. You know, I'm here to, um, put the good evidence forward and yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to lose sleep over yeah. somebody's insistence that they've seen. I, you know, it's you know, I, I could try it with Santa as well, but it's, there's no point. You know, it's just I don't want you telling me that Santa's not real, though, Steve. I'm still a strong believer. I would never, I would never even try to yes. put such yes. thoughts into your mind. The way we've got it with the kids at the moment is that, yes, he was alive, uh, St. Nicholas, he did die, and now these people you see around, they're helping him continue his good work. And they've been appointed by the Ministry of Santa Claus to continue the work in his name. So he's he was real, but is no longer, and uh, we're, we're memorialising the tradition. And I've got away with that, I think. I've managed to, to sort of swing that. I don't know how. Um, I, I think it's... it's fascinating um that so many people around the world are, are so attracted to this legend you know going back to the beginning of it like all legends there's a lot of um subterfuge there's a lot of early media um sense since uh, sensations that have, have muddied and clouded this water would you say that some of those early um articles nessie. about nessie are still causing us problems today in our in our mission to find out what she may be, do they still affect the public consciousness? It dumbfounds me when I see some of the online chats that go on relating to some of the earliest photographs, for instance. Like, this coming Sunday is the anniversary of Hugh Gray taking his photograph Mm. on the 12th of November, 33. We still, 90 years later, argue day and night as to what he photographed and was still no nearer a definitive it's a dog with a stick it's a swan it's a somebody throwing a stick in the water all the different possibilities and 
I, I look at a piece of evidence like that and I think, well, it's never going to be a good bit of evidence anyway because it's not a good photograph of it. You can't see what it is or where it is for that matter. And so what, what are you arguing about? What's the point of this 90-year-old debate? And but then, we have to but, back. but then you get things like um, Arthur Grant that was just over here riding New Year's morning, coming home on his motorbike to go to those houses up there and on the road just straight down below caught sight of something in the headlights of his motorbike coming down the bank and across the road and down again <laughs> there's a i'm not sure about that at all i'm, I'm you know and it's a pretty far-fetched story to me you know i'm, I'm a believer in the mystery but Really? It crossed the road in front? No. Um, yeah. I don't know. There's, there's a lot of the early stuff. That, and back then, 1933, people really, and that was before the surgeon's photograph, so they didn't even know the thing had a long neck for certain. They just had, they had descriptions of everything. They had a, a creature the size of a, a giant frog, hmm. this giant frog-shaped thing. Um, the spices seen it crossing the road land sightings i struggle with to be honest and but back then in that gold rush of sightings seven humps ten humps all qualified as nessie until they could amalgamate it into something well it's got the surgeon's photograph long neck and it's got the upturned boat type back okay that's enough pieces of a jigsaw puzzle to say, well, it must be a plesiosaur then. So they could, everyone could settle down into the long pursuit for that specific explanation. Whereas before that, it, the, the possibilities were endless as to what shape this thing was. So, and the reports sort of confirmed that the reports were so varied of different shapes and sizes. Yeah. I mean, what's strange about that as well is a lot of people bring up this, um, and I know you heard this a hundred times, probably the lost world. You know, the lost world had had come out yeah. at that point. King Kong had also come out at that point. Yeah, and there yeah. was, I think, there was a plesiosaur-like creature in that original King Kong as well. Uh, it was, yeah, said that, right. Um, and that was, you know, the the age of exploration was, which was pretty much over. Then was being reimagined once again. For a viewing audience, and uh, you know, could this have affected the minds and uh, and even the mental library of those viewing this strange and unusual animal? We always look at those old bestiaries in the medieval books, like but the Bodleian Library that has sometimes, and you see, you know, a big creature with a fat body and the, the head of a fox and um, fins like a fish, you know, and the tail of a dolphin yeah. and. Uh, clearly, whoever's drawn that, it has been described. He's had to pick out these animals from his mental library to patchwork quilt this thing into existence. Could it be something like that that people have have been pushed into a corner? I've seen something unusual. I don't recognize it. This is what I've got in my mental library to depict this creature. Very much so. Very much. And uh, all of those different aspects of this subject go into the melting pot, the jigsaw puzzle of evidence that gets moved around and moulded into whatever shape we can possibly 
plausibly, plausibly conjure out of it. And, you know, for me to mould it all together and think, well, that most looks like a catfish to me. By no means does that tick all the boxes because it doesn't explain land sightings. It doesn't explain long neck sightings. It doesn't explain multi-hump sightings. But at some point, you have to start stripping away things. You have to start thinking about all the land sightings. Am I going to stand by them? <sighs> Not convinced I am. I've been here mm. 32 years. It's not been on land in that time, as far as I know. At least nobody's seen it in that time, and there's a lot of people around here. Um, Multi-hump sightings. I've become very proficient at watching multi-hump sightings every day. The wakes off of the boats that are around here that just cruise around the loch. And in fact, I was with Adrian Stein at the weekend. We went and saw the world premiere of. They created a monster, the yeah. Loch Ness, the new Loch Ness film, John uh, McClafferty. Fantastic story of that, the 1970s, the 10-year period, the war between Frank Searle on this side and Adrian Shine and his gang on that side. And I was sat afterwards talking with Adrian, and we both agreed on something, which we often do, but we were talking about the boat wakes, and, you know, one of the things that people say, Oh, well, that boat weight could be, that sighting could be caused by a boat going up the middle of Loch Ness, the waves going out, hitting the shore, uh, coming back in and mm -hmm. re meeting themselves and going on, traveling along like a standing wave going along the water. Mm -hmm. And I said to Adrian, that's got to be nonsense, hasn't it? And Adrian said, well, well, I've carried out months of trial and trial and tried and to, re to replicate that thing, absolute nonsense. Doesn't happen. Okay. Doesn't happen in Loch Ness. It's not. It's not a phenomenon that we could ever begin to. You know, if the, if the shingle beach that the wave hits is sloped, the wave breaks and disappears. There may be a slight slew back again, but it, no, it's okay. so. I mean, this is not I hitting think, walls and coming back. This is this has got a beach. Yeah, no. Either yeah, yeah, either sort of uh, off off ramps then to the forest where it can dissipate. And one thing that sort of I've learned with this subject is when I was away in Dorset before I came up here full time, and I'd read all the books about things. Explanations by whoever Stuart Campbell or any of the sceptical authors. There's been bins and people. Mm could say, oh, well, that sighting was the waves re-meeting themselves and going up the middle of the loch. But it's not until you get here and spend time sat here watching that you realise that those explanations don't actually fit the location. Mm. I mean, there's there's a one that I particularly hold up as an example is it's in Stuart Campbell's book and it's about oh, I think the guy was called Mackenzie and he lived up there at Abrechen in that saddle of hills and he was up on that hilltop just there above it collecting heather for his roof in it was something like 1884 i think it was something like that so it was massively before the gold rush the 30s gold rush he was up there and so he was up on that mountaintop over there looking down on water like this and just here can you see tor point i see it yeah tor points there 
just off of Tor Point, much where that orange boy is there, he watched something cavort and turning in the water, much as Aldi Mackay reported. So that's where Aldi Mackay had her sighting there as well, ah. much later on. Stuart Campbell, in his book, puts that sighting down as an, an otter. Ah. Now, the distance from Tor Point to the top of that hill up there, that's about three quarters of a mile. And the disturbance an otter could possibly make at Tor Point here is neg negligible. And certainly Mackenzie would not have seen it and he wouldn't have described it as he did. But Stuart Campbell, Campbell is writing his book based on the fact that the people that are reading it are never going to sit here with his book and go, hang on, hang on that, a second. That, yeah. That otter, that otter doesn't explain that. So that's a lot, you know, a lot of expert, another one, another classic one. And that involves right here as well. Remember the explanation? Oh, it's um, circus elephants. Oh, wow. Bar yeah. Yeah. I've read that one again recently. To, mm. Yeah. Well, the circus elephants would have been going to Inverness. That's almost a song. And <laughs> the only, the only way, the only way they would ever have been involved with Loch Ness if, was if they'd previously been at Fort William and they were heading to Inverness. And if it was before 1933, that road over that side wasn't opened. So the elephants would have come down the old General Wade's military road down this side of Loch Ness, heading for Inverness from Fort William. They would want to bathe the elephants before the parade into town. Dawes Beach is the first location, the last location before Inverness that they could bathe their elephants. And right here on this beach is a perfect situation. You just can bring your elephants down, put them in here, wash them off, take them to Inverness. Now, the 20-odd houses in this village that overlook this beach where I am here, where I am now, if half a dozen elephants came down here, there ain't nobody that lives in one of these houses overlooking this bit of water that's going to say, oh, I wonder what that is. They're going to say, that's the circus in town. Look at the elephants. Mm. And if you were over there at a Brecon on the other side of the loch, there is no way you would see half a dozen elephants in the water right up against the beach here at Dawes. So that explanation doesn't, doesn't hold water when you look at the locations that it must have taken place at. Yeah, it wasn't elephants bathing. So yeah, so, but in order to figure though? these things out, mm. eh? I was just going to say, isn't that interesting? You have to be there to gain the perspective of yes. how these sightings occurred yes. and the unusual nature of what people saw because of the distance at which they stood, which a seal or an yeah. otter or, or even, you know, a small whale would, would be hard pushed to emulate. Yeah, and the whale would have to come out here on the bus. It couldn't come up through, the, you know. It's, how would it so get there? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So... Until you actually sit and look at the locations, these explanations remain sceptical explanations that a lot of people accept. Oh, that was just circus elephants back in the day, and people have just carried on that belief. Or it was just otters, or it was just waves mm -hmm. colliding. Well, you actually sit there and spend a decade or two looking at it and thinking about it, contemplating, is that an explanation that is good enough? 
A lot of no, no. And it's not. So, do you find that sometimes the, the, the hardcore believers and hardcore skeptics, there's a, a line that joins them really, and some of the things that they have to believe in order to explain the Loch Ness monster are outlandish on both both sides of the camp. Yeah, uh, I suppose they are. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, I try to veer away from the outlandish personally, but I certainly do know many, many staunch believers that believe things about Loch Ness that I think is absolute nonsense. Plesiosaurs, for one. Uh -huh. Plenty of people still think they're the explanation in there's no plesiosaurs in Loch Ness. I'd love it to be the case. That's what I came here to find. I've satisfied my own curiosity enough now to say, nah, they're not There's got to be something in. else. And yeah. Not an air breather, something else that's, um, yeah. that could at least emulate some of the aspects of that creature to explain perhaps neck sightings and, and things like that. Longe uh, good longevity on it. Mm. But I'd, as I've said before, I think that if we have had a small population of something that maybe has a lifespan of a hundred years, which the world's catfish does, I think we are possibly looking for the last one or two now. I don't oh, I wow. think, I really do th think that in my time being here, the number of sightings have dropped off till this year on the surface. I don't know what, um, Gary Campbell would have on his list of sightings this year, but I've heard of nothing that's been particularly impressive to me this year that I can think of. The thing we were talking about with cheese, that was five years ago. She took yeah. those photographs. That was well, impressive. The two swimmers with the three humps out in the water, I saw that. Uh, that little oh, that, that was part caught. of the quest. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw that. Yeah. And that, I mean, that definitely, you can definitely see it resting whatever the humps are, and then submerge. That, that bit's yeah. clear in the footage, but so far away, it must be a mile out even. You know, really yeah. quite hard to determine yeah. what, what we're looking at there. And of course, while we're on the, the, uh, on deep scan on our first out, one of the Nessie neck sightings that were reported was clearly, you know, a limb of a tree floating with the storm floating down the lock. We all said, Hey, you know, I bet that'll end up in the newspapers. And sure enough. <laughs> it was that did. the one that was in, in the court in the back of Urquhart Bay? Uh, the, it ended up there. Yes, yes. But we'd um, seen it floating along the week before, yeah. I think. Yeah, and it it sits. You can see this sort of yeah. hit the shallow it. water, hit the the ground, and stopped. But it's like a hump and a sort of neck bending up. Yes, is it? The, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I mean, look, I mean, that's just you know, that's just part of it, really. I suppose that. We all want to see that. We're all hoping for a glimpse of the Loch Ness Monster. And I've realized this in my, my shorter time studying these subjects, that people want to believe there is something else out there other than the mundanity that they're used to in life. There's a bit more hope, especially these days where things are very dark and gloomy. Absolutely. If they could be a Nessie or a Bigfoot or, a, you know, pterodactyls flying across the Yorkshire Dales, that's, everybody would be cool with that. They'd love it. That would make things exciting and wonderful again. And with, certainly with this, there is no way, you know, if Professor Neil Gemmell had come up with a flat blank, no, there is definitely nothing yeah. in Loch Ness. 
by the next Sunday, there would have been a new sighting and a new story in the newspaper mm -hmm. saying, well, I've just seen it. It's, you're, you're never going to. It's unkillable. Stop. It's un Nessie's unkillable. <laughs> She's unkillable. She's undefeated. She's undefeated. Well, dynamite, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, yeah I suppose you give dynamite to the whole thing. Well, one thing that's yeah. really interesting to me, especially when he did that study, actually, is, as you said, recently with the quest and the, the assumption of the expedition taking place, similarly with those guys, there's no way they could have had a large enough sampling of the lock and its depths to really ascertain what was and what wasn't in there. It looked to me more like a, a huge... You know, press, uh, a press coup once again for this new again, EDNA method. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it achieved its goal in that regard. Mm. It made a name for Professor Gemmel and it made a technology out of eDNA. Mm. But as he said, 25% of the samplings mm. remained unidentified. That's one in four. That's. Is that is in of a, a corrupted and unable to be yeah. tested? Yeah. Or okay, yeah, there you go. Um, and uh, partly and also unidentifiable. So wow. okay, and one would assume they would have to have uh, whatever the Loch Ness monster was. They would have to have its DNA on file to test it against. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, they didn't they didn't have plesiosaur DNA? No. So he just used reptilian DNA okay. and found no. Fair enough, found no reptilian DNA. But okay. Okay. But also no otters. otters that otters was curious. Did. Yeah, otters didn't find otters. So I've seen them. as much as there's definitely no plesiosaur DNA yeah. in here, so there's no plesiosaur, no reptile DNA, so there's no plesiosaurs. It's also, according to him, no otter DNA, so there's no otters. Bullshit. I, I've seen them. <laughs> yeah. I've seen, I've them. seen them. Yeah, yeah. Seals, <laughs> seal, again, seals, no. Yeah. Yeah, Wild yeah. swimmers that are in and out of here all the time. Nah, yeah, no, well, no. I'm sure he picked up a lot of human DNA, but you know, just just to I don't think he up, did. I don't think he actually no, he did. Didn't, he didn't pick no, up any I'm human DNA. I'm pretty sure that's not in his data. No, that seems quite odd. Yeah, I I think the study is still really in its infancy, and there's yes. so many corrupted, and I don't understand it well very well. I'll, I'll admit that. But there was a recently one, a very nice kid in Somerset, the Quantox, I think, a guy named Daniel. He's very into Bigfoot, and he's uh, started, you know, testing footprints and things he's found up with eDNA. And he had a test result that came back, and on the test result, it, it labeled so many animals, you know, wood pigeon, badger, deer, the rest of it, but also old world monkey and old world ape. And they said, "Well, see, this, this is proof that they could be." I said, "But the most confusing thing about this is you're saying, as well as all of these other animals, an ape and a monkey have been through here." Separately, clearly, this has been corrupted somewhere. Oh, logic dictates that both an ape and a monkey haven't been through here in the Quantox, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and I think we're we're putting too much stock in these types of testing at the moment. They're just not, you know, just like our AI CGI. They're just not advanced enough to to yeah, definitively fool anybody right now. But the reasons we're putting so much stock in these things is the, the way it gets reported by the media mm. that this is the latest, greatest technology. This is, this is the latest, greatest hunt. This is, and so we're told, and, you know, unless you do your own head scratching and think about it, you just suck it up and go, okay, fair enough. They're saying that's the infallible technology, but you, right. you dig into it and no. 
far yeah. from it. We live in a world, Steve, where now science is infallible, which oddly goes against the scientific principle. Yes. Yeah. How, they yeah. can't be the science, like we had that or that silly flu thing a few years back, but other things too. The science is settled. The, the science is infallible. We now know. And then five years later, it's like, oh, you know, actually put man's uh, origination back to not Africa, but Europe a couple hundred thousand years before that. We now know again, and it keeps going on and on and on. But every time they settle, they're sure they're one hundred and absolutely twenty yeah. percent sure this is going to be it. And if you're an idiot, if you disagree, yep. But that has been well, that has been the same with science yeah. right back yeah, to the dawn yeah. of science. Yeah. The line in the sand that it represents at any one point is the definitive explanation. Mm. Then roll on a hundred years. Oh no, that was completely wrong. That's it's right. now this. That's and right. that has never not been the progression of science. So there's nothing to say that the point we at the line in the sand that we're at currently, it's not, as yeah. you say, it's not the, it's a hundred years from now. And they'll say, well, actually we had that completely wrong. We had that completely wrong. And believe it or not, they believe this, you know, so. It's amazing, yeah. isn't it? I heard recently that some doctors are thinking of bringing leeches back. And I thought it was a joke article, yeah. but it's true. Oh, yeah, no, I think they are. Yeah, I they are. That. And yeah. who knows? But I mean, that's you know, that's the point that, that we're at. And um, whereas I think you know, science has discovered amazing, wonderful things. We couldn't live without it. Our lives are far, far, far better than they've ever been in the past because of those things. Hooray, science! But yeah. it's it's the settled, uh, I think, uh, aspect of that. Just before we go, just. One, you know, one final word for people who want to find Nessie, who are interested genuinely in the legend. How do you think they should approach this subject? Uh, with a lot of patience and an open mind, I would say. And, and I certainly was talking about this recently, the advent of AI and photographic manipulation that can go on now. We are very much on the eve of a point where we are no longer going to be able to trust what we see in print with our own eyes. It's already now I'm looking at photographs and I'm thinking, really? That's, you know, we're seeing so many AI created images of not just this subject, but various subjects that are not true. And there's going to come a point where the only things that we're going to be able to trust is what we see with our own eyes. So to anybody with a fascination for this subject, get up here and sit in a tent on the side of the loch mm. and satisfy your own curiosity. Walk into the villages, talk to the people that will answer your questions. A lot of people around here would say, no, I haven't seen anything. And then they'd say to me, well, I didn't tell him about that thing I saw, but I told yeah. you, don't you tell him. So I run after them and I tell them, you saw it, you saw it. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Why should you take all of the heat, right? Um, absolutely. Yeah, 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 share the load. Well, you know what, I think, as as uh, you said, that lovely, and I, I really enjoyed talking to her and husband, Chi and Scott Kelly. They were so genuine. It was the first time in a long time I've been convinced of a sighting, whatever it was, that the sighting yeah. was genuine. Yeah. And completely genuine. And that was wonderful. But, you know, I, I did start 
worrying for her, thinking, well, now she's going to get the heat. And she surely did, you know, just after that. Yeah, yeah. And um, she, mm. she's very much, I've been trying to take the flack of that and mm, I can see that. speak for the, for her sincerity. And what we're, what we're all agreed, the people that are looking at this in, these images at the moment is you can't say for certain it is something mysterious, but we can all say this is something we as yet cannot explain. Mm. So that's the exciting part of it to me. And her, her sincerity in her, um, confusion as to what she witnessed. And she's not saying, I saw the monster. No. I saw something. No, no she's saying, I saw something. I, I took a load of pictures of it because it, I couldn't explain to myself what it was. What is it? And we're all going, uh, yeah. Give us a minute. Give us a minute. Yeah. We'll, uh, yeah. Get the magnifying glass I'll out. Just, I'll just, uh, I'll just, uh, yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. talked to my team of international experts. Exactly. Yes. Come back now to you in a got, few months with now a nice yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amazing. See, I should let you go. Uh, as yeah. always, I really appreciate it. Was, it was great meeting you face to face and also to just experience the lock twice this year. You know, I feel really lucky. Once we got the ROV working it and got back to it. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. away at the time. Oh. Um, anytime, and, anytime, Andy, because yeah. I, I do think you're you're one of the good ones. Oh, thank you. You are. I, that's the impression I get from you that you're sincere and inquisitive. I'm trying. You? I'm trying. You know, it's still that childhood um, delight, and I still find some of it. You know, but despite the genre occasionally, which can be a bit tough, I still find that delight. So being there. Um, I we did have the conversations. Got a wife, and kids. Well, when I got back, about is it possible? Could we live there? <laughs> we decided we couldn't right now, and we're institutionalised. We're like we've been Londoners yeah, yeah. fourteen years. You know, she's been here seventeen, and that's a hard. You know, we've been sure shanked. That's a difficult thing to walk away from and and get used to the quiet again. Um, but who knows? Maybe it'll happen one day. Yeah, get your, get your little rock hammer and start chiseling yes. away at the wall. Behind the poster. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Get my um, <laughs> what was it? You'll escape Jay, one day. Jay Mansfield, Bordeaux. Yeah. yeah, get my posters up. Right, I'm going to leave you too, but have a great day. Cool. And um, you, anytime. Yeah. anytime. Yeah. Okay.